Expedition 44 here with Matt and Ryan. We are on a seems never-ending series on the church, but boy, it's been a great uh, series. We're on part 23. We're kind of in our segment of reimagining, but we still have to sort of step back a little bit before we reimagine to kind of look at the way things are, and that is really what we're doing today. And so we're getting into reimagining giving. And so before we can really talk about the context of what we should be doing today, we need to biblically go back and see yep. what they actually did. So we've divided this into two parts. The first part is going to be on the Old Testament, and the second part is going to be on the New Testament of looking at what the Bible says to do. So Old Testament thinking. This is... This is a hard one. I'm just going to give a, a little preface to this. A lot of people get into Old Testament thinking and they go, is it relevant at all to us today? Can we completely, I mean, I've heard people say, totally cut off the Old Testament. Yeah. We don't need it anymore today. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily yeah. want to quote anybody, yeah. but there's been a <laughs> lot of those kind of statements of it's not at all related to us today. We don't need it. Let's just throw it out the door. Where Matt and I come from the other perspective. We're on the polar opposite side of that is when we get... It informs everything Yeah, in the New Testament. We get this picture of the Old Testament and that is probably the best picture of what God's asking of us, his ideals, than what we have anywhere else. Now, we start with the first two chapters, we end with the last two chapters, the bookends of the Bible that are gonna show God's ideal. And what's interesting is in those chapters, we get nothing about giving. So, <laughs> Not really. so in Eden and in the end, Besides you know, maybe a whole life. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it looks like. So, so we don't really have any context of when things are completely right. Our context is in the middle of when things are a mess. Yeah. And so, Matt and I always say that the law was given as sort of a stopgap or a way to keep people that didn't ordinarily follow God back on track to follow God until the Messiah came when Jesus would. Yeah, he'd give the full revelation of God's ideals. So we're supposed to be on an upward trajectory now mm -hmm. because we have Jesus. Yeah. And so we're supposed to be the law was kind of this murkiness, downward spiral, and then... Shadows of the substance. Jesus yeah. comes and we're on the upward trajectory, but where we're at now is most people would believe we're actually probably worse than most of <laughs> Israel and we're failing again catastrophically. But... What do we get from the Old Testament? We get a picture of God's ideals to come back into alignment with him. So even if you don't look at the Old Testament and say you can glean much from it, it was a good foreshadow of what to come and how to be aligned so that when the Messiah would come, you would be ready to fully give yourself to him. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to dig into the, like Ryan said, the Old Testament context of giving or what some call first fruits. And that's what we're going to be going off of today. Next episode, we're going to look at the New Testament context. And I, I know growing up, I sat under many sermons about uh, tithing and even sometimes pastors begging for money or telling people like guilting people into giving 10% and saying they're robbing God if they right. if they don't and we're going to look at are are these 
notions true. Um, yeah. And so we really need to ask, is it biblical? What does the Bible say about this? And so today we're going to look at tithing, tithing and giving in the Old Testament. And so in our, in our normal way, we're pretty much going to go through the Old Testament and look at every major um, portion of what it looks like to give and sort of analyze each one of those. And so the place that you kind of start with this is... How do you define giving or tithing? Are those two things separate or are they the same? Yeah, so I think uh, first, like, tithe literally means a tenth. So, um, and it wasn't, when we look at the Old Testament, you'll see this come out continually, is it wasn't just money, and most often it wasn't money. Yeah, I mean, people always want to see a clean percentage. So if you want to say in the Old Testament, how much percentage are they talking about money, and how much are they talking about other things it's probably like 80 20 90 10 and when it does turn to money there's usually a very specific reason why it turns to money yeah and you'll hear us mention first fruits quite a bit and so the tithe was to be the first fruits the first part the giving the the first and the best or you might even say that that was um that was where you started yeah and Matt and I have talked a lot about first fruits, and I mean, if you combine all of our films on first fruits thinking, there's probably I don't know a dozen of them out there that mm-hmm. we talk about this. And so this is not an easy one, so I, I don't want to oversimplify it. But the way Matt just said it is really the best way to say it. I mm-hmm. mean, it's really like what does first fruits show? It, it was basically if there was somebody from outside the community that was brought into the community and again in the old testament that doesn't really happen very often but but somebody's brought in and they're saying where do i start if if you're off track where do you start where that's first fruits thinking so first fruits is to bring your best to jesus yep so um many of us may not know that there are actually four different kinds of tithes in the old testament we're going to be going through these as we go through so first in the mosaic law you had the levitical tithe um then you had the festival tithe, you had the storehouse tithe, and what might be of the royal tithe, um, but that was more of a punishment. And we'll get into that <laughs> we'll get, one. So that's so yeah. it's sort of a standalone. But, but there's three major yeah, ones yeah. where, yeah, the Levitical tithe, the festival tithe, the storehouse tithe. So to start, you have to kind of look pre-Israel, and we don't have a lot to go off of mm-hmm. pre-Israel, but let's let's kind of start with Genesis 14. Yeah, so Genesis 14, 17 to 20, we have this. Then after his return from defeating Shalamander and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was the priest of God the Most High, and he said to him, Blessed be Abram uh, of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered you from the hands of your enemies. And Abraham gave a tenth of all he had to Melchizedek. Yeah, and so this is written in a, you know, different way we're not used to the writing style it first Mm -hmm. describes kind of a historical thing that happened and we don't often think of abram as a warlord but in this case he went up against kings yeah to get his nephew to rescue his nephew lot who was kidnapped yeah yeah gives you an idea of sort of the wealth of abram at this point too Mm -hmm. that i mean he had a an army that could defeat kings with armies at this point yeah. and so so we get you know 17 and 18 are kind of the historical background and then it turns into and this is pretty common in genesis then it sort of turns into a 
uh, maybe even a Toledot formula or something yeah. like that. It could even be a song or a poem or something that mm -hmm. was... It looks in the way it's written, how it's in quotes, that it's probably a song that was sung after the victory was yeah. given or something like that. But what? why is this important? Why are we landing so, here? So it's the first time tithe is mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, so it's kind of interesting to use this as a command for all of us to follow in tithing has a couple faults, a couple issues with it. First, there's yeah. no evidence in this text um, that 10% was a common practice or even commanded by God. Yeah. Um, the second thing is everything in this text leads us to believe that giving this 10th was completely Abraham's decision or choice. It was completely voluntary. Yep. Yep. And after that... Um, Tithing under the law was actually not voluntary for God's people, and we'll get into that when we get into the Mosaic Law. Yeah. So there's a couple things I want to break down about what Matt just said. One, this isn't a kingdom policy. So what we just described as Abram, he was basically his own kingdom. I mean, he believed that he was establishing a kingdom for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so he's establishing a kingdom, and this doesn't seem to be a policy in his kingdom, which is, I think, worth noting right mm -hmm. here, that he doesn't, we get this Taladot formula, but it doesn't come in the idea of this was the policy that would be established now for yeah. all of the land. There yeah. isn't that kind of language. And throughout the rest of scripture, we do get that kind of language of something established that is going to be practice or, or a pattern or a foreshadow that acts that way. The words are usually very clear that now this was established, an altar was made from the days to come for the generations ahead, and you don't get any of that kind of language yeah, here. You just kind of get a, this is just dropped in the middle of kind of this story. Yeah. <laughs> so. Now, is it a foreshadow? And so could all of Moses's thinking had come back to this? So later when something is established... Could this be influencing Mosaic Law, the 10%? Potentially, potentially yeah. Yep. And so we also look in this that the 10th um, that was given came from the spoils of a military victory. Yeah. And it wasn't based on your earning or your labor. So this was only when the spoils of war, <laughs> that's what the tithe came from. Here. Now you do get this connection again later with Israel. And mm -hmm. so there's going to be times where Israel comes back after, you know, you know, I hate to say like pillaging, you know, they bring bring back this. And sometimes God says, do that. Sometimes he says, don't, don't do, do it. That. So yeah. you don't really know, but it's, I've used this before of like, we kind of call it a tax. And when I say tax, people grumble about mm -hmm. taxes. Nobody likes a tax today. Nobody wants to pay a tax or a tithe because mm -hmm. there's no separation in government. This was their kingdom. And mm -hmm. so there's a little bit of, is it a tax? Is it a tithe going on? Something like that. But when you think about it that way, if I was going to go into battle, and I think battle was always a terrible thing, except you believed a little bit in an eternal thing. It's like the Valhalla thinking that mm -hmm. like if you fell on the battlefield, that was very honorable. And you didn't know what eternity with God looked like at that point, but you just believed in something similar to that. So if you fell, your family would still reap the spoils. Like if I fell in battle, my best friend would bring back those spoils for yeah, my family. family and then when the family would receive them well this gets complicated because now they're the poor and the desolate that yeah. they don't have their their main breadwinner to come back but they would be expected to then give of the best of what they have yeah. and so 
Again, is this a foreshadow that's going to establish part of Mosaic Law, or is just this just a one-off? We don't have the answer to that. Yeah, and so this instance of tithing was off of the spoils of military victory, but in the Mosaic Law, it's very different with tithing because it's off of the increase of your crops, your fruit, your herds. So it's different than the Mosaic tithe here. Yep. This is different. So let's move on to further in Genesis. We got Jacob. Um, in Genesis 28, uh, verses 20 and 22, it says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If the Lord will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, I will give and will give me food and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house safely, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you. Okay, so first textures of interpretation. Mm -hmm. What is this? It's it's a visionary passage. Yeah. What so, do we do with visionary passages? I don't know. That's yeah. that's the answer. So like Jacob has this dream of uh, basically kind of this ladder as the gate to uh, the spiritual realm, you might say, to God's throne room, and he he establishes Bethel there, and this is kind of the the house of the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> you might say a connection there. Um, but he promises that if God protects him, that he's going to give him a tenth. Again, Abraham gave based on God's provision. Jacob's promising the same thing, giving out of God's provision. So visions are strange in the Bible because some of them never come to fruition. This is a vision is kind of an idea of what something could be or mm -hmm. the intention or what God might be bringing somebody to be. But as you know, like, does that happen or not? Now, some of this does come to fruition we mm -hmm. can probably look at it prophetically and say okay we can see where this came to be but did it completely come to be and was the was the tenth of it going back as kind of a retro vision to abraham abraham or not <laughs> and and so one of the things about visions is i would say be careful to build like doctrines or policies it. or something like that you have to treat a vision on the genre that it is which is a little bit of a, it's a vision, it's yeah. <laughs> imaginary. So don't read too much into it. So we only have two pre-Mosaic laws texts to go mm -hmm. by, and one of them is a vision, which we shouldn't read too much into. Yeah. Um, so what does the text say and not say? So, um, so what we're told here is that Jacob is going to give a tithe that God provides, basically. And yeah. again, um, going off this example with Abraham giving a tenth, was voluntary yeah. it wasn't commanded no. um, and there's no evidence in this text to suggest that tithing was a general practice in Jacob's life if he did in fact tithe here which we see he did he delayed it by 20 years after this that's when it actually happens that he gives it so by this time you might be realizing there's an elephant in the room <laughs> and the elephant in the room is at this point in scripture God never asks for a tenth Mm -hmm. It's freely given. Now, yep. when you get to Mosaic Law, which we're going to get into in a second, <clears throat> is God asking for it through Moses? And most scholars would interpret that and said, the law represented it was given to Moses directly by God. So yes, God is asking for something to be given back to him. But that's even a little bit controversial because when you get into the 16, 613 laws, 
were every one of them given by God. Traditional Jews would believe that, but but there is like a question mark of how much of that was Moses's interpretation and how much of There's it wasn't. Some indications in the New Testament that the law was given by Moses. Yeah, <laughs> <So> <laughs> quite a bit. Often it says that. So uh, maybe it was given by Moses through God. So so, yeah. so that's the thing of like the whole context of ten percent. It starts out controversial. Is mm-hmm. a lot of our point. Of, yeah. It, what we do know is that we should freely give of our own joyful hearts. Yep. And so that's... That's going to be the say, theme through all of this. That's all we get here, you <laughs> so. know? Do we get more? It's, I'm, I don't think so. So before we even start, I think I want to just kind of give an overview of what the law is. And then we're going to go through and we're going to get into each specific ones. Because I think if we just start and we just we just read every scripture you kind of need yeah i think you kind of need an organization before that so let's talk about that a little bit it's matt already brought this out it's really about crops Mm -hmm. it's the context is about if you're a farmer you're going to go out and and do this and you're going to bring back your your crops your animals your fruit and I want to stop and say this is kingdom prosperity. And so this is the kingdom, whether you're talking about starting with Abram or whether you're starting with Israel, the way that they're thinking is this is this is the kingdom of God. And so now I want to just stop and we're going to get to this in the conclusion too, but like how much of this is actually applicable to us because you and I live today like we're solely in the kingdom of God. Now, I hope Matt and I do. I mean, this is what we're trying every day to live in a Jesus kingdom. But but do we? Do, do we live in a promised land with a kingdom where God, I mean, the ideal is theocracy, where God is everything. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Jesus is the umbrella and there isn't another umbrella. umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so do we do that? Is that the context? So some of this is kind of, hit and miss, but the idea is still modeling. Matt and I talk about this, and this is Brian Zond is probably really the only one that's really brought great context to this, is that the idea was that they were supposed to be so plentiful in the kingdom of God that they looked way more beautiful than anybody else to the rest of the world. I call this grapes as big as your head, you know, that that the idea that never really came to fruition. This is one of those things that didn't follow through was that they were supposed to be this great, glorious, magnificent kingdom of the most high Yahweh and people from all outside would be begging to be a part of it. And we never get there. You know, you get pieces of it where Rahab was sort of begging to be part of it. Or Solomon and stuff like that. A little. But yeah. But you never get the whole thing. Now I think the other the other point before we get going on this is that this is a long time and I'm gonna really go in and, and give you a lot of context to this timeline, but people don't realize that what we're talking about in Old Testament giving, it basically spans I love the number here, it's one thousand 444 years. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see the number 44 a lot. And I've often just said that the number 44 in the Bible, the reason we call ourselves Expedition 44 is because it's in the number is incredibly important in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So you'll see the number 44 kind of arise several times. But essentially, when this 12 spies go into Canaan, the year was 1444 BC. That's going to 
kind of be the precursor to start thinking about when we when we're blessed by the Lord, what yeah. do we do with our blessings from the Lord? Yeah. So you have Ruth and Boaz in their 1200 BC. So they're about 250 years after after we get the majority of all the law written. And so a good amount of time, but I say them because from that story we can get we can glean, I'll throw a word play in there. Yeah. We can glean what's happening with people that are living in that kingdom. And then Samuel and, and David over united Israel. These are the glory days of David and Solomon. You're going from about 1000 BC to about 900 BC at the most. And so when we get that, you're going to get some of these royal laws, you know, kind of coming into play where at one point you might argue that the common Israelite could give as much as 33.5% of what they made. And I would say that was probably in those glory days, but no one's complaining because, again, you kind of get into the spoils of war thing when they're going out and doing what God told them of defeating. They're bringing back some of this stuff. So if I if I give you a house and ask you to give the car that was in the garage with the house back to the priests, you're not really going to have a problem with that, you mm -hmm. know? But this is where it gets muddy, too, mm -hmm. because... You know, some people would actually say that that number starts with more like one fiftieth of everything that you made, and then the big number is thirty-three and a half percent. So, at what point in there? Well, it it's spanning almost fifteen hundred years, and so perhaps at one point it could have been more like one fiftieth, and later it could be more like just ten percent or twenty percent. And at the worst, or I might even say at the best, this is contronym language. It could be 33%, but if it was 33.5%, you probably weren't complaining. You were joyfully overwhelmed if that was the case. And so I could keep going through this. Um, you get Jeremiah, Daniel is going to be like 600. We kind of know that as like 586. The big one is the, the temple being rebuilt, and I like this number again. It's associated with 444, and then the temple resumes in 520, and uh, 444 is when Nehemiah starts rebuilding the wall. That kind of starts off the second temple period. And during the second temple period, we think of that as being, you always grew up hearing that that was the period of silence, but actually it was pretty loud. And so, <laughs> a lot of writing going on. A lot of writing going on. There's also a lot of formation rabbinically. And so today when we go back, we're going to get into some of these rabbinical assessments of were there complications, were there things they didn't understand, stuff like that. But most of the, the law is written way before this. In fact, the only thing that Matt and I already made allusion to this, but we're going to get to a little passage in Malachi. And in Malachi, you're talking like that second temple period. It seems like there's a little kind of like... Uh, tithe issue yeah. that might change slightly something changed <laughs> something changed and so we're, we're going to look at that a little bit but this is a little controversial and so there's a couple problems the the first portion that's given uh teruma is what it's called and then you have that's that's given to the priests and the priest that it was given was ideally supposed to be a descendant of aaron that's a kohen and so this is what i said originally some 
scholars would argue that that number was as little as 150th, maybe 140th, something like that. But eventually it, it looks like that turned into 10%. 10%. So this is the first area of controversy. Like, is, the, is it really 10%? Does that go back to what we talked about with Abraham? Was that implied? Because when you really study the way things are, at first that it looks like they're 140th. And then from there, the 10% actually comes after that. The 10% is what is remained is going to be giving to the rest of the, the priesthood at that point. Because mm -hmm. not everybody is a bloodline direct descendant of Aaron. And so mm -hmm. this is where a lot of people miss that. You have the very specific bloodline priests, and then you have the bigger context of priests outside that. And the reason they're getting them is because they couldn't, we're going to get into this, but because they couldn't own any land. And yeah. so, so they need something. And so third and sixth years of the sabbatical cycle, you have this 10% of what is left, the ma'aser ani. And that was taken into Jerusalem and typically it was just eaten. So what does that tell you? <laughs> it's not money, it's, it's food. food that's going to go on there. And then the, you, you get this second thing which is the first the second the fourth and the fifth years and that's going to be the second 10 percent or the ma'aser shenai and so those are different that's given to the poor that they might you know kind of coexist and so one of the problems with that is that there's sabbatical years where the farmers don't give anything yeah there's there's nothing there and mm -hmm. so they have to let their fields rest. <laughs> yeah, and so then there's there's three more things going on that are all farming that are connected to giving. The first one is the the lekat, and that is if you're harvesting and a stalk or two falls on the ground, you can't pick those up. It's kind of like dropping the flag. You leave them mm -hmm. there, and that's for people to come in and yep. pick up later. Yep. Now there's also the sheaves, and so the sheaves are a little bit different. You got to think of this in like buckets mm -hmm. and so you're gathering you're putting the things in the buckets you might leave a bucket there this was industry basically mm -hmm. and so you're you're filling buckets you're leaving them somebody later would come and grab the buckets and then if accidentally some of those buckets were left i'm sure there was a time frame here that yeah. we just don't have context to but after a certain time frame the owner couldn't come back and get those and so you might remember that him bringing in the sheaves that's you know kind of talk about bringing in those that were outside of the kingdom that were gathering that weren't didn't have the first fruits or the blessings of the lord they they might not even necessarily belong to that kingdom and then there's a third thing going on here and that was the northeast corner of the field was to be left completely unharvested so the poor could go and that's probably different so you have the harvested ones that you know you're going to allow the people from outside of the community to go in and grab the leftover buckets the individual let's just use corn you know a corn stalk mm -hmm. falling on the ground or something like that but then you also have this corner and that was set aside for those in the kingdom that or were poor. the needy the mm -hmm. poor you yep. know the things like that and so there's a lot going on and before we really go much further i'm just going to say that scholars don't know what to do with all of this this is this is controversial subjects and i'm going to say i believe that there are no contradictions in the bible i i would say what one of the things matt and i have given our life to is theologically explaining 
how the lens of the Bible is connected and how it all does get along. And I would tell you, if you have a contradiction in your theology, then you don't have a very good theology. And so um, there's two areas, Numbers 18.21 and Deuteronomy 14.22. One of them kind of talks about the, the idea of coming in and gathering and another one you know seems contrary or different to that and so is it one like let's say 10 percent payment one 20. is it two yeah, is yeah. it 20 percent what <laughs> yeah. do you do with this the easiest way to reconcile this was just to say 20 percent yeah i mean if and this is really what all the traditional jews a thousand you know from 1444 trying to determine what the law said all the way up until this but this gets into we're going to eventually get into inerrancy, but this gets into that conversation. How much of this was Moses and how much of it was exactly what God Moses wanted Moses to represent to the people? Was there an error going on? So for 14, 1500 years and actually even still today, they're going back and forth on this is what is the number according to these things? Are, is it 10% during this time, 10% during that time? We've already said, you know, it's different mm -hmm. from the third and the sixth years, the first, the second, the fourth, and the fifth years. Mm -hmm. And so is that what's going on? Well, there's all kinds of different ideas. In fact, if you want a source on this, the Demai was written to kind of just cash out issue. <laughs> every issue. And it's like this thick, you yeah, know, and so... You is can it 10, go is through, it 20, is it what? you get into what's called replacement theory into this, and I mean everything else, and at the end of the conversation, I'm going to say you could go and read all this, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to just kind of figure out what's right for you, yeah. and that's where we land, is are you a joyful giver? Yeah, and so <laughs> that was the whole context of it. So that's a little precursor to it, now I think... With that, let's really just dive into you know the four our different ties. Yeah, or not the four maybe. different ties and what every scripture that we sort of have says. And there are some scriptures that pretty much reiterate one or the other or a quote of another. So we don't need to go through all of them. We're just gonna we're gonna go through the main ones. In fact, I'm gonna say that um, we won't go through a requote of another one because if one quotes another one, you just you don't need to tackle both. So we're just going to try to stick to the original context of yeah. all of them. All right. So first, we're going to look at the Levitical tithe. This is the first tithe, and all of Leviticus 27 is about the tithe. Um, so kind of this next, the next two verses we're going to read here give the context of the tithe. So if you want a chapter in the Bible that talks about tithing, that's really where you go is yeah, Leviticus, Leviticus 27. 27. So Leviticus 27.30 talks about thus um, all of the tithe of the land and of the seed of the land and of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. The important thing here is to realize that the very first context for the one chapter of giving is everything is the Lord's. Yep, and the key thing in there is the land, which is the land of Israel. This is <laughs> so why Matt and I always talk sacred space, sacred land is connected. It's mm -hmm. important. Bible Project yep. has a lot of really mm -hmm. good stuff here. If you want to know how the land connects to... I hate to even use the word prosperity, but to modeling. Mm -hmm. If we're supposed to be modeling the beauty that God's given us and later the, the Jesus perspective, this is what it looks like. Yep. Now, the second one is um, verse 34 in this chapter, and it says, And these are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the sons of Israel at Mount Sinai. So these commands, the tithe commands, are about, one, the land. It has to happen in the land. And two, it's for the sons of Israel. So it's for Israelites. 
So the hard thing is, is do we have any context to this today? Mm -hmm. Do Matt and I, we're, we're as, Gentiles. as far as we know, we're not Jews, <laughs> and, and if we are, we're many bloodlines removed from that, and so, yeah. you know, what does that look like? Now, the question is, is the modern day church, is there, is there, do we have any context to tie the modern day church into the same principles as the kingdom of God. The covenant made the Messiah, the Mosaic covenant made to the sons of Israel. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, so we're going to get now into the Levitical tithe, which you find um, in Numbers 18, 21 to 24. It says, The sons of Levi, behold, I am giving all of the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform, the servants of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, nor they will bear the sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear the iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generation. Among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore, I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. So this is a really interesting one for a whole bunch of different reasons, and I don't know that we have time to dive into this. I could do a whole video just on this, <laughs> this one. one yeah. I mean, this is complicated because essentially the, the priests that are there are given no inheritance, and it's not by chance that this word inheritance is used. Mm -hmm. And so... Just let your mind wander for a second of when we think about how important inheritance mm -hmm. is. I mean, Matt and I are grafted into the kingdom of Jesus. And what, what do you learn from a little kid that you are, why you're, you're grafted into the inheritance of the kingdom yeah. to come? The yeah. last two chapters, that's, yeah. a, that's what we're talking about. And just stand back for a second and consider what it meant that the priests actually weren't given the inheritance of the sacred land like yeah. that blows my mind a little bit mm -hmm. you know does does that mean that they're just going to when at the end of their days they're just going to poof and be done i mean could they be have created i mean that's what happens to the angels in the end in the last two chapters of the book where where do angels go if you have the answer to that i'd, I'd like to know mm -hmm. you know that's that's going to be an interesting one so there's some holy language that goes into this that I'm not really sure what to do with. But what it means, I just think just to get back to the basics of this, is that they weren't given land in the promised land, so yeah. they needed to be taken care of. Yeah, um, so they were given a couple cities, um, and they didn't, those cities didn't really have farmlands from what we know of. Uh, they yeah. were the Levites and the priests were the ones who worked um, in the tent of meeting or worked in the tabernacle, worked in the temple um, that would come later. And so... And what, what is a city? It's really the context of the place the where people live. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's so they were given... The easiest way to reconcile this with a with a ancient Near East mindset is that people had to live someplace mm -hmm. and there had to be some market value going yeah. on. And so they didn't live in the temple. <laughs> right. And so so they needed to live someplace. They're given a place to live. There might be some business going on there because we are going to get into a context that some of these tithes, offerings, free will gifts could be traded for other things. And yeah. so, you know, could a could a um, 
priest, take some of that from the temple, go back to his dwelling place, and if he needed, you know, a sandwich for breakfast for his family, could he trade up to get some yeah. of that within his city village? That could mean what it's talking mm -hmm. about, but again, like, do we actually have that? Mm -hmm. Are we given are we given those specific words? And theologically, hermeneutically, I would say that's a gray area. I don't know that we can take that away just from the text that we're having. So again, I'm just going to caution, like you got to tread lightly. You got to be careful with all of this. Yeah. So the first thing we got to notice from this verse is that the tithe is given to the Levites. Um, and so after that, if we look at Deuteronomy um, chapter 18, Verses 1 to 5 says, The Levitical priest, the whole tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance in Israel. It's kind of saying the same thing. But if you go down, um, you you see that you shall give him, or the, the priest, the first fruits of your grains, your new wine, your oil, the first shearing of your sheep. For the Lord your God has chosen him and the sons of all your tribes to stand and serve the Lord forever. So this is where it sort of gets a little controversial. Like I mentioned, there was an offering at first that was given to the direct descendants yep. of Aaron, and then they're yep. going to give yep. it to the rest of them. Uh -huh. And then the rest of them are actually still going to kind of tithe off of that. Yeah, so, they, so, uh, so the Israel tithes to the Levites, who are the priestly class. Then they tithe to the high priest, um, who gives it to God. So actually, 1%... Of what is tithe is given to God if, yeah. you, if you do the math. Yeah. So a tenth is given to the Levites. A tenth of that is given to the high priest to present to the Lord. And so really the Levitical tithe, one percent of it goes to the Lord. Nine nine percent of it is for the the priests to live off of. Yeah. And and are is this going to be a pastor? Well, immediately I'm going to say most pastors I know, they're. They have an inheritance. Mm -hmm. They have the same thing that you and I have. Mm -hmm. And so this gets a little controversial. But but again, we don't have it as clear as day. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I've heard so many people try to argue from a rabbinical perspective. It was clear of day. And I'll argue that one to the grave if it's not clear as day. Yeah. Um, you basically kind of get the same thing. We said we're not going to really repeat verses here. But you can read um, Numbers 18. Uh, verses 25 to 28, which kind of basically says the same thing as Deuteronomy 18 there. And those are the verses that Ryan was saying that that... Um, and it is in quotes, was, yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a parallel correlation on there. And so this is kind of where I think it's partly worth just getting into first fruits for a second yeah. too, is that a lot of this, some, some people look back at Deuteronomy 18 and they say, <laughs> Is this the context, the beginning of first fruits thinking? Was this the bare minimum? Did they actually have significantly more? So Matt alluded to one fiftieth or one percent, even mm -hmm. like was that the bare minimum? Like if it, you know, we get to Micah six eight, and I, I just preached a sermon kind of going through this, and you know, at the beginning Moses gives six hundred thirteen, and then I kind of broke it down in this sermon of so, showing like it keeps getting reduced to finally when they ask Jesus, they're trying to pin him yeah. on this. and Love God, love your neighbor, which then the New Testament, the apostles reduced down to just love your neighbor. Exactly. <laughs> love so God by loving your neighbor. It keeps getting <laughs> so. reduced. So by the time you get to like Micah 6, 8, which I went through that timeline, you know, it's... Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah. 
you know, and that's the idea of first fruits is, is God has blessed you beyond all measure. He's been the provider of everything that you have. Just be generous in giving back to him yeah. is what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you kind of get the idea that it wasn't, why are we struggling finding the exact number here? Because it wasn't about an exact number. number. Yeah. So, yeah, they did list a, a tenth, but that was one of many tithes. Yeah. And so let's go on to uh, the next tithe, which is the festival tithe. We find this in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 to 26. And it says, you shall surely, surely tithe of the produce of what you sow which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. If the distance is great and you are not able to bring the tithe, since the place uh, of the Lord chooses to set his name is too far away from you, when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money to your hand and go to the place which the Lord chooses. You may spend the money on whatever your heart desires for oxen and sheep and wine and strong drink, whatever your heart desires, and you shall eat in the presence of the Lord and rejoice you and your household. All right, so context first, you shall surely tithe all the produce. So when you see this surely word, that's kind of a double entente in Hebrew of what it's saying is, at least. At least. It's, it's saying, you shall do at least this. Now at it's least 10%. 10%, <laughs> that's a solid number. Mm -hmm. How are you going to argue this one, you know? Uh -huh. So it's at least 10% of everything that you have. Now it gets into the heart's desire. The heart's desire, we come back to this is circular thinking mm -hmm. again. This is like if the gift, if the person giving you a gift gives you something, then you need to complete the circle of giving, giving the gift back. back. And yeah. so that's all of it. And so the idea would be that if I was going to give Matt some great reward or something. Guitar. <laughs> that some of that should come back to me. Like I should be blessed by the music that yeah. he plays with the guitar by at least 10%, but maybe all of it. Yeah. You know, now he teaches my kids how to play a guitar. So a beautiful picture with this would be like if... Five years ago, when Matt was becoming the worship pastor, more like 10 or 15, yeah. but anyway, <laughs> I gave him this amazing guitar, and then 10 years later, when he's teaching my kids how to play, he gives the whole guitar back. He doesn't just break off a string and say, hey, here you go. Here here's, you a go. <laughs> <laughs> here's a tenth of what was given to me. I'm going to give it back. No, he, he presents the whole guitar and says, this was given to me so beautifully. Now I want to complete that circle of giving and give it back. That's mm -hmm. the idea here. Yeah. So um, the second tithe here, the festival tithe, um, is also directed to Israel in the promised land. Um, so it was a tenth of their agricultural produce. And notice in verse 23 that we read here that um, if the tithe was supposed to be eaten in the presence of the Lord at the place he chooses, so this is on Mount Zion, um, it refers to the feasts that the Lord commanded Israel. And that wasn't a tithe that was given to the Levites, but it was essentially you were to save up to take three vacations with Jesus every year. Okay, now this is again minimal first fruits thinking. So you're saving your money. What they're saying is put, a, put aside what God's given you so that nobody has a right to say, I can't make this festival this time of the year because we can't afford it. If you were first fruits thinking, that wouldn't even mm -hmm. be a concern. So it's also 
first fruits thinking, but it only mentions the three festivals. Yeah, were, three. were there only three festivals? No, there were seven. <laughs> no. And so, so you better at least make the three, but the expectation is to make the seven. Mm -hmm. And by the time you're elderly, your whole life becomes essentially a festival before the Lord. You're no mm -hmm. longer rolling up your tunic and you know, tying it up and going into the fields. No, your your children, your your those that would be getting your inheritance mm -hmm. were doing that. So again, it's your land, it's your inheritance, it's how you give back to the Lord. All of these things are tied in and describe what is sacred for those that follow faithfully. Yep. Um, and so these three annual feasts, um, well, three of the seven were pilgrimage festivals. You find that in Deuteronomy 16, verse 16 and 17. It says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the festival of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of booths, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessings of the Lord your God, which he has given to you. So every male, we're both egalitarians, we yeah. read this and we go, what are you talking about? Well, that's how the censuses were done. That's how your family was that's counted. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's the culture that yeah. we're talking about right here. That's how things were counted. Now, the idea is that in the, in the context, the males were the responsible agent. Like it or not, that's just the way this worked. Now, it wasn't the ideal. Now, I think that when you get to the last two chapters of the Bible, that's not what we see. Mm -hmm. So I want to be careful to say that. But in the messed up context that we're in, it's the male that is going to be kind of the, mm -hmm. the one that provides. But I even want to be careful with that because the context of everything that we're talking about is agriculture. And in this family situation, was it actually the male that was responsible for the agriculture of the family? It was usually the women and the yeah, children that were responsible for the agriculture. Yeah. And so that's even, I mean, again, we could spend, we could spend countless videos just talking about mm -hmm. this. But the important thing to get away from it, the takeaway, is that the three festivals, spring, summer, autumn, the important ones, they were all connected to the food part of yeah, it, the to the, the harvest proportions. But even more so than that, the connection is being completely with your family, given that time to God. Yeah. So, um, let's see, according to today, you know, in a lot of modern churches, when they ask our money, it sometimes goes into like servicing debt or instead of helping the needy, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that... With, like, the context is... We need to fellowship with God. God so yeah. is, is there a context where today today our churches mm -hmm. provide, like it or not, we're used to them providing the fellowship of the Lord. Now, yeah. it shouldn't be like that. Yeah. Matt and I live in a community that we call our microchurch or whatever, mm -hmm. and we the best thing about it is we're completely immersed in Jesus. So mm -hmm. I was just over at one of our friends' houses yesterday, and we were hanging out and playing wiffle ball and almost all the conversation was of a Jesus proportion. And then after that, we left and went to our Trace Diaz community, mm -hmm. which is, you know, we also have a first fruits community, ironically. <laughs> and so went there and were immersed in more of this community presence. Now, what's interesting about both of those pictures of my life yesterday mm -hmm. is they were very much in keeping with community in God and an Old Testament mm -hmm. mindset because we are all grafted family together. 
there was a covenant bond going on between us, yet there wasn't a building represented that needed brick and mortar or any part of our, our 10% to be connected with that. So mm -hmm. is there a context for that today? Well, we're going to get into New Testament in the next episode and yeah, we'll, dive we'll dive into, into that, that one a little, little more. more. Yep. Yeah. Um, so in the verses here that we kind of looked at in Deuteronomy 16, it says that no one could come before the Lord empty handed. Yeah. Um, since everyone has received blessings from the Lord, um, but the amount was kind of determined by individual assessment of yep. how much was given, much was expected, you know. Um, it's a good word. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's, uh, Circular again. Yeah. yeah. God has given us, given so much. And yeah. so it still comes back to that freely, freely given. Yeah. I mean, 10% is kind of the baseline. In other words, how thankful are you yeah. for this circular relationship? <laughs> relationship. Like, oh, God has blessed show you. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if we compare it like this uh, with like chapter, verse 10 in the same chapter, we'll see that the um, the amount is that of a free will offering as well. Yeah. It, yeah. it is what it is. So it's about generosity. It's about, um, it's not governed by rules or regulations right. necessarily. This thing, it's about... Um, the requirement to, to bring something represents your thankfulness. How thankful are you? So I truly believe that we don't just struggle with this number today, that throughout the 1444 years of the Old Testament, it probably wouldn't have been smiled on to try to figure out what this number was. Yeah. If you were trying to figure out what this number was, mm -hmm. it wasn't a good uh, snapshot of the condition of the desires of your heart. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a good snapshot of you circularly returning mm -hmm. the gift of the giver it was anybody that was asking numbers would look at you and say say like what are you talking about yeah. you know mm -hmm. um so another text that speaks about this is um about the tithe being brought to the place where god would dwell is um and the times of the feasts is in deuteronomy chapter 12 um verses 10 to 12 it says when you cross the jordan and live in the land which the lord is giving you to inherit and which he gives you to rest from all of your enemies who are around you, you will live in security. Then it shall come about that the place which the Lord will choose for his name to dwell, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and your contributions of your hand, um, all of your choice votive offerings and that you will vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters, daughters too there, yep. your male and female servants, see the women are coming too now, and the Le and the Levite um, who is in your gates, since he has no portion of the inheritance with you. Okay, so again, this is, this is a solid passage that we could spend a lot of time mm -hmm. on. The first thing I want to point out is when you cross the Jordan. This yep, is a coming he into the land. Hebrew idiom. Mm -hmm. So have you and I, are we, have we crossed the Jordan? Be part of the kingdom. You know, are, are you in the kingdom? Is your only mindset to live in a Jesus kingdom? And I hate to say it, but there's just no other way to say yeah. this. Like we just don't live this way today. Like we don't live solely in the kingdom of Christ. So when I take a snapshot of where most Americans are living in church, out of church, something like that, they don't worship the God that was asked us of the way that we worship. We're not living in the sacred land today mm -hmm. where we don't, we don't live that way. And that's where Matt and I get into this all the time of like, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. This is what we're trying to do is point out what it looks like. Reimagine what it looks like to live in a sacred land 
in a soul kingdom of Jesus, even though we live in Babylon. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in this passage, it says to come before the, the Lord. Um, and this refers again to the feasts. We've been talking about the, the still on the festival time. All here. of Israel, so, yeah. all that are grafted into this will yeah. come before the Lord in yeah. these feasts. And so the, this money that you're supposed to set aside was for these festivals, which are times of socialization, times of celebration, times of worship, times of studying and teaching scripture. And the tithe was to be taken into the central sanctuary is what yeah. it says here um where it was to be eaten before the lord yeah. it was a meal with god yeah. um so during these feasts the levites um had a share in whatever was yeah. brought in because they didn't have land themselves and so this second tithe was really um given to the people of israel um in relation to the promised land but the whole like point of it is this tithe was about celebrating with your community a fellowship and celebrating God with the abundance that he's given you. One of the last two films, I can't remember which one, I kind of went off on a tangent on this of like, we don't celebrate communion the mm -hmm. way that we really should. And so this picture is a better picture of communion. Yeah, it's a whole feast. <laughs> we do a range night and we're doing one this Saturday. And, you know, these range nights that we have, I mean people it's it's a sharing of all your giftings and that was the intention here that you would come together and be immersed together and you would bring your gifts and a lot of that was done in the saved up storehouse of your food and so so much of that context is the land that was given to you and again like how much of that do we have today mm -hmm. like do you and i have land that is sacred i mean you know, this land has been, the land we're actually making this video in right now has been prayed over, has been consecrated, has been anointed more times than I can count. Like, I take the mindset, this is God's land. Yeah. You know, in fact, uh, I just had an offer if somebody wanted to buy it, and my answer was, eh, it's not really mine to sell. You know, mm -hmm. and they kind of, today people look at you like, well, was it your grandpa's? Is it like, you know, a friend's? Like, they don't understand that. And I'm like... Yeah, you just wouldn't get it if I explained it to you, you know? Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Third tithe, the storehouse tithe. Uh, we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 28 and 29. It says, At the end of the third year, you will bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and shall de deposit it in your own town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien and the orphan and the widow who is in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So when we started, we described what this is. There's a seventh year cycle, basically. Every seven years, things, you know, debts yep. are repaid, given mm -hmm. things like that. And so two of these years, the third and the six years, existed that essentially the kingdom is going to make sure that everybody in the kingdom was provided for. Yeah, so this um, was specifically for not only the Levite, um, they got a portion of this, yep. but uh, the poor, the widow, the the orphans, the even the aliens among them, the yep. ones who, who were living in the land, who weren't citizens of, of Israel or nationally Israel, were taken care of this way. It was God's way of helping the least of these. So the question is, how much did this happen? And the it, Ruth, as I alluded to this, gives us mm -hmm. a good picture. We know it was Wasn't. happening. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah and so, the edge of the field. Yeah, and so when, when Ruth was coming, she was gleaning these extras leftovers that are described, and Boaz notices her and then brings her into his inheritance. You've got mm -hmm. 
match up the language yep. here. At first, she has nothing sacred. She's begging to be part of the community. And then at, by the end of the story through marriage, she's brought into the inheritance mm -hmm. of the generational community. And that's why the end of Ruth goes into the generations mm -hmm. or the genealogies that lead to Jesus. Because this was important. It's the circular gifting that outlived your own self. And that's why all of this is so important because... You wanted to do it. You, you truly believe that if I could overgive, and there's a little bit of a, this is where some of the prosperity gospel might even come from of the Old Testament, is, is a retribution principle yeah. thinking that if I could, could overgive for mm -hmm. my generation, it would go on to bless the generations yeah. ahead. Now, we've talked about the retribution principle. We did a whole thing on Job where we really mm -hmm. got into this. Is it right or wrong? The answer is... Eh, yes, no, yeah. maybe so. That parts of it are true, but mm -hmm. we're not God, and we can't figure all that out. Yeah. So, um, a text that's sometimes taken way out of context about the, which is about the storehouse and not the regular tithe, is found in Malachi. But before we get there, let's look a little bit about some more about what yeah. the storehouse was about. Um, Deuteronomy twenty six twelve says, um, when you have set aside the full tenth of your yield in the third year. Uh, the tithe and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Uh, so this is a command about those inside the community. It does not apply to those who aren't followers of Yahweh. You just get this picture that there's all these people like kind of gleaning in the field like Ruth, mm -hmm. and it doesn't apply to yeah. them. So it applies to those inside the kingdom. And I make this point all the time and say, Churches today are supposed to be the body of believers that live in this kind of kingdom mindset. Yet, I again, I'm 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 not. I don't want to throw rocks, but mm -hmm. most of the people in our churches and the walls of our churches on a Sunday morning do not meet the criteria of living in a kingdom mindset of Jesus. And so, most of this doesn't apply. I hate to say it applies mm -hmm. to the people, the Matts and the Ryans of the world that are really trying to live in a kingdom mindset, and I hope that you're there too. Yeah, and so if we take this kind of to today, if we were to use use this today, and that's a debate of whether we can or can't, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. remember, given to the people of Israel in the land, right. um, th this would apply to those who would be part of the church. So yeah. the, the, tithe, the storehouse part of the tithe would apply to those who are part of that church community. Yeah. Um, and taking care of maybe the least of these in, in yep. your in your church family. Um, the second thing here, notice who receives the tenth. Um, the first group is is the, the Levitical priests, priests yeah. um, who are called to serve God. Um, and again, that's bloodline, which yeah. is really interesting. So, I'm sorry, I don't think most of our pastors today are, are <laughs> priests. Maybe, not, not quite there, maybe, yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe worship <laughs> leaders, you don't know. But, uh, I, mean, I mean, according to David, they were the ones who yep. <laughs> ministered day and night before the ark uh, with music. Um, but the tithe was, was, like you said, was because they didn't have land. And then you had this severe disadvantaged group. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's the best term to say yeah. it because it, you're getting the orphans, the strangers, the widows, things like that. And again, Matt made the point, are they in the community? Are they out of the community? And so there's certain things that are sort of set aside. The middle of the fields mm -hmm. were for those in the community. The outside of the field was for those out of the community. So there is a very dis 
a good distinction yeah. on which way it went here. Yeah, and so under this commandment, the community was responsible for the welfare of those who were in, in need. They were responsible for caring for those who are in need within their community. Right. Um, and in kind of this agrarian society, they, uh, they had no means of livelihood, so someone had to step in. So one of our pet peeves that we go through all the time is, does our, does our church actually do this today? I mean, the idea is that the church is going to come up with something to provide for all of these different things, yet today, I can't stand it that our government is the one that's doing this. Yeah. Babylon is doing this, and quite frankly, I mean, Matt and I attend a church called Mount Zion, and they do a pretty good job. In fact, when we first started attending, I would say that was one of the major criteria to us choosing a church was this church had a drug and alcohol rehab program in the backyard. They also had a food pantry, food pantry in the backyard. They had a school that they would think missionally in terms of. I mean, there's there's benevolent funds for those hurting and things like that. And so out of all all the churches in the area, we looked at this and said, it's the closest. But the reality is, it's a long ways from what the actual picture that was painted for us looks like. Yeah, I think most churches in America would be. <laughs> um, yeah. So, what does it mean by the stranger here? Um, I think it it's, why, why would God command his people to support people outside their group? I think that it could be those who are proselytes, those who yeah. are still following... Yeah. Yahweh, uh, we can see them caring for the widow. We can see them caring for the stranger, like you mentioned in in Ruth. Um, this stranger was part of the community, was not um, an owner of land, and that's part of the yeah. part of the problem. Um, so and, you, you come back to this picture that there's there's a wall built around the yeah. city. There's a wise council at the front of the wall that mm -hmm. like pretty much stays there. In fact, you get. Some of this 10% is being yeah. run back out to them, yeah, to, by, you know, by the elders. <laughs> <laughs> to the elders. And so somebody would come and they say, they would say, I want to come in and reap the benefits of this kingdom community. And they would say, well, this is a kingdom of Yahweh. Do you want Yahweh? Well, I don't know what that means. Well, let us tell you the first fruits of how you can yeah. start living this way and they would beg to be part of this community because of the beauty that they yeah. would see inside of it and so the elders at the wall would basically either turn them away and say we we think you're a spy we think yeah. you're tricking us we think that you're not going to be successful as as part of the community or they would look at them and they would say something like there's no way you're going to contribute but we have a place for that yeah and so let let us let us bring you in we'll give you a place to live we'll give you a place to stay and we will we have a system to support you even though you're not going to add to this community we still believe <laughs> that you are beautiful in the eyes of Yahweh mm -hmm. and later when all things are redeemed we don't know what that looks like but we believe that you will be equal to everybody within these walls. And that is just a beautiful picture of the way that the Old Testament and the kingdom of God was supposed to look. And I truly believe that we're, we should still be modeling. This is still mm -hmm. the best picture that we've been given of that, yet we have no idea what that looks like because one, we live in Babylon who does it better than we do. Mm -hmm. and, and two, 
we just don't have the mindset or the ability to live that kind of a beautiful life before the Lord. And that's, that's too bad to us. Like we, we want to return to that way of thinking. Yeah. And so kind of, I think one of the big elephants in the room is uh, how corporate churches are are today and how so much of even what's given to churches is, I mean, we'll talk about salaries another day, but, but isn't necessarily used for sometimes these things, at least that we saw in the first two tithes, that, seems way off the reservation. Yeah, right? like and, we just we're not doing something anywhere near what was given to yeah, us. Yeah, and so there might be a time and place for that, and we're going to talk more in New Testament context yeah. next week about um, what does what does giving look like in the New right. Testament and um, and and money and and that because you see money come up a lot more in the New Testament. This is mainly. <laughs> produce and providing for the least of these. So let's get into the very last tithe that we have here, and that's the royal tithe. Um, so, um, And this is early. I want to put this on the timeline. This is still, we get this out of 1 Samuel 8, which is still early in the story. So there's still part of this left, the, the weird one that we're going to get to that's in Malachi. But this is still, I just want to be careful to say that this is still commonly referred to as just a normal thing that all of all of uh, Israel would do for years and years and years. In fact, the the majority of the almost fifteen hundred years, this would be a norm. Yeah, um, and so for Samuel eight fourteen to seventeen, when Israel is rejecting God, wanting a king, this is Samuel's uh, response basically to them that uh, the king will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants, and he will take a tenth of your the seed and of, of your vineyards and give them to his officers and to his servants and he will also take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to use for his work and he will take a tenth of your flocks and and you yourselves will become his servants all right so putting it in context we've already got what we rectified as 10 percent once 10 percent again and so we're at 20, yeah. and now we get to the royal tithe. Right. And there's actually three tenths in there when you see it. Um, so this could be, some translate this as like, all of that would be like a tenth, but it's actually like, there's three different tithes in here on three different things. Yeah, it's a lot. So it's like 30% tax. <laughs> kind now, of there going the back king. to the beginning, is this because they've been blessed so bountifully. I mean, could you take this back to wartime? I'm going to say 1 Samuel 8, they're not there quite yet, you know? And so they don't they don't have the beautiful blessing. They're just saying, we want a king. Well, if you want a king, you got to pay for it. Yeah, basically, that's what you're saying. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is actually more of a punishment <laughs> is what, what this is, is that when, when you reject God as your king, and it's going to result in all these taxes. So I hate to say it. This is this is just hard words. But when we look at the picture of the modern day church, it resembles a king in a community that represents God far more than it represents anything else. This isn't good. This isn't something that you want to brag about. And that this is walking away from God, not walking mm-hmm. towards God. And so there actually is a context here to say that the 10% that modern day churches are looking for would be similar to a royal tithe because they still have a king in charge. 
not what we're looking for. We, we you're, that that's not something that you should be admirable to. We, when Jesus came, he set the record straight, and essentially, Jesus is the King. There's no longer a reason for a royal tithe in Israel. Yeah, and so, but there are instances churches do good things, and they might need the giving to to further things that King Jesus wants. And so, but uh, quite often, a lot of this continual talk of ten percent and uh, the almost shame and uh, guilt that's this brought from that is is not what even lines up with the Old Testament stuff right, right. <laughs> and, and that's Short kind of, of everything yeah um, and so a lot of, a lot of times this verse will be pulled out in those contexts this next one we were leading up to Malachi uh, 3 8 through 12 which says will a man rob God are you you yet you are robbing me but you say how have you robbed me in tithes and offerings you have robbed me you have you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, you, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and, and test me now in this, said the Lord of hosts. I will, will I not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing until it overflows? Mm. And then I will rebuke the devourer from you, so that it will not dis be destroyed, destroy the fruits of the ground, nor the vine of the field, or cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed and you shall be a delight a delightful land says the lord of hosts so there's a couple things going on here we do get thus saith the lord uh -huh. and so says the lord of hosts is going to tell you that whether you believe in the you know whatever your inerrancy version is like this is a thus saith the lord mm -hmm. passage now to really get what's going on here matt and i again textures of interpretation context is important so you got to go back to verse five let me read that then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow, the orphan, and those that turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, thus saith the Lord. Yeah, and so this kind of, this goes back to the third tithe here. I actually think of the storehouse as what they were neglecting. Right. Um, and this is post-exile. So Israel's come back into the yeah. land after the exile. Um, they're getting reestablished yeah. at this point. They're still under foreign rulers. Yeah. But, but really, wow. I mean, um, the whole thing wasn't that... They, they weren't giving their tithe to the Levites, or it seems like probably maybe the Levites were ripping them off, yeah, <laughs> even yeah. at this time, and we see that in Jesus' yep. day as well. But the whole thing was they weren't using the tithe to support the least of these, right. was the main focus. Is, is God says that when we don't support the least of these, that's when we're robbing him. So what I kind of was setting it up is, you know, does Malachi... Re, does it change the law? And again, in a good theology, you say no, it doesn't change mm -hmm. the law. And some some theologians have gone back to said that, you know, that was one of the problems. Is that you know, but again, it's a, it's the says the Lord of Hosts version. So it's hard to you know take this any different way. So in harmonizing <coughs> it, the best way to harmonize it is to say it's just reiterating the same thing they had before that it's yeah, not changing they're coming back anything. to the ideal yes yeah. exactly and so 
Um, offerings and, you know, kind of concluding with some other giving that we do see in the New Testament um, that we need to note is the, the free will offering yeah. is quite often there. The, so there was additional offerings besides these tithes, like even in the sacrifice, you had the peace offering, which yeah. was just a thank you gift to God. Um, you had offerings went well beyond the 10% Levitical tax or the 10% uh, or tithe, the 10% festival tithe, the 10% or even 30% royal tithe. And yeah. earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we see that these are to be the contributions of your hand. Yeah. So it's supposed to be something that's a cheerful, cheerfully given of, of gratitude, of thanksgiving to the Lord. So there's a lot going on here. At some point during this 1500 years, we kind of get the idea that, um, that, these givings were very public and so mm -hmm. you got to think it wasn't money it wasn't just writing a check like at mount zion again i like that we actually just have a box in the back and people drop their checks yeah. inside nobody knows how much they're giving or to what extent it's a little different though when you're actually bringing crops in because yeah, you can animals. visibly <laughs> see oh my goodness that guy just brought 27 goats to the you know and <laughs> into the, the giving thing and so yeah. so there was there seems to be this picture of maybe people standing around and watching what was being brought in. And, and actually it wasn't those that were trying to give less. Oftentimes you get the context of those that were over giving, mm -hmm. you know, that yeah. if, if the expectation was 33% and all, you bring all this stuff in and the guy go, and everybody watching is going like, God wow. has really blessed, blessed that you. person. When, when in actuality it might have only been 10% in you know or 50 or 60% of all your stuff the more that you gave the more it looked like god had graciously you know blessed you blessed you and so the context if anything was actually that people were typically overgiving to look better than undergiving mm -hmm. and so well when we add up all these tithes I mean, you kind of have this scale to, of about actually, like if you want to tie, we think of like, oh, just ten percent. This was probably more like twenty-seven to thirty-five percent yeah, of what we're what we're actually looking at for for giving in this. And um, so, yeah. Now, one of the differences is that today in our culture, most people I know go to work for forty, fifty, sixty hours a week, and they get money for that work and it this gets very controversial because is that does god even want your money is that is most of this isn't talking about we haven't money. mentioned money once besides <laughs> if right. you can't haul your stuff to the festival sell it and then go buy it, it, it the stuff so there's no there. excuses of coming to the festival <laughs> well, like yeah. you better get there yeah. and so yet we don't go to the festival today yeah and so what happens when you just totally remove the fellowship with God out of the equation, which is what the whole thing was driving, mm -hmm. was fellowship with God. We, My point is we're just so far away from this kind of thinking. And this is, again, what Matt and I come back is better kingdom thinking. Um, beloved church, Steve Castle's church down in Lena, Illinois, one of the things that they're trying to do is that they go away for a week in the summertime to this camp that literally has nothing to do. It's a mm -hmm. it's a cornfield. And like <laughs> they all hang out in the field and basically what are you gonna do? You're gonna talk about Jesus. And yeah. that's the idea. And I remember the first time we went on one of one of these uh, vacations with them. I mean it's a festival. Like you go to this mm -hmm. thing and people are bringing in the best of what they have and 
all year they say are you putting aside so that you can come to this and maybe you can only come for a day that's first fruits thinking mm -hmm. but eventually come you need to week. come for the whole week and then eventually after that maybe your whole life should start looking like this one week because that's the idea and that's ties in this idea of first fruits thinking first fruits giving is that we want to be in a family grafted into sharing the inheritance and the the beauty of the Lord's people together, even though we live in Babylon today, we can still live this way. Yep. So let's just do a recap on Old Testament tithing here as we wrap up. So some of you have been watching a whole film already, but some of you are just coming right into this. So if you're if you're just jumping into the mini film of this, welcome to Expedition 44. Matt and I have been on a, a long series on the church and. Today we did a pretty sizable length film on Old Testament giving. We went through every scripture. If you want to read that, I'd encourage you to go back and watch the original film. This is, if you've been with us for the whole film already, this is the this is the, the finish. Conclusion. This is yeah. the conclusion. This is the five, I don't know yeah. if we can do anything yeah. in five minutes, but this is the shortened version of yeah, that. Yeah, recapping so, Old Testament tithing. So we're looking, we've been looking at Old Testament tithing and where we really land, we're giving you the quick version of it now, is you may be able to draw conclusions to your own life here, but we are not living in the sacred land that was given to us. Like we don't live in the promised land where there's grapes as big as your head. We live in Babylon. <laughs> yeah, and we are sacred space because the spirit indwells us. So wherever we go, we are sacred space. But when we look at tithing here, notice like all throughout the Old Testament, um, all of the, basically all of these, the audience and the commands are directed specifically to the children of Israel. So they're right, the ones under the Mosaic law. And right now there's a war in Israel going on mm -hmm. right now. And I... We've been talking about, do we want to go there? Do we want to make a video on this? Our Time will tell. Not, yeah. We're not into the, this is the end times thing. I mean, no. I just sent Matt a little mean of why God was coming back in 1988. Yeah, I think it was. reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, we're not looking for the temple to be rebuilt, any yeah. of that kind of stuff. Like like Matt said, like we're, we're, we're living for Jesus. Jesus mm -hmm. inside of me, he is the temple. Like we don't mm -hmm. need anything else. We just... We're just looking for simply the Messiah to come back. Mm -hmm. But putting all of this into a nutshell, it does get complicated in the Old Testament because what was supposed to be the picture was the promised land. I would say we're 14, 1,444 years was when this was all established. The 12, the 12 spies went into Canaan, scoped it out. If things went the way they were supposed to be, I would hope... Matt and I, whether we were Jews or not, would be living in that promised land, you know, 3,500 years later. It would have been part of the plan. But as you know, that never came mm -hmm. to fruition. So what do we do with all of this Old Testament tithing, giving, things like that? Yeah, so um, kind of for Gentiles, these concepts and commands of the law are good and they're shadows of the substance, which yeah. is Christ. Yep. And so we're going to get more into that in our New Testament giving and tithing episode. But there's signposts that po point to something greater. Um, and I think the second thing about this is that um, when we looked at all the tithes in the Old Testament, it was always produce. Yeah. There was never money given to the Lord, which is interesting. They had money because we saw in some of these 
like the festival tide, they could sell off their their produce to for money and then travel to the temple and then buy buy produce and drink and animals back. And it's hard because you look back at that and to some extent everybody was a little bit of a farmer. Mm-hmm. And today we just don't operate that way. We we've we've changed. Now this is the evolution of society and we get into the evolution of God's people and the church. Is it okay? You know, does God want us all to be farmers 3500 years later? I don't know that I'm taking that away from this yeah. this context, but you have to figure out what to do with it. And this is everybody's own personal journey. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there we don't have all the cards, all the answers to the way life looks 3,500 years later. Yeah. So one thing, some things we do get from Old Testament tithing is before the law was given, giving was voluntary and not a command. Yeah. Um, so this seems to be God's ideal from the beginning was that our giving should be out of um, gratitude and thanksgiving and and being joyful before the Lord. And we only get two pictures of that. We get one with Abraham going to you know fight this great battle and he comes back and he gives 10% of what he brings back after he conquers. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is a vision and you got to kind of Jacob be careful with And he doesn't even give his 10% until 20 years later. Yeah. <laughs> which is, it's not an immediate thing. Right. Um, the, so there, we looked at that there's a few different tithes in the Old Testament. The first one is the Levitical tithe, which was given to the Levites and the priests. And originally, uh, the whole nation um, got inheritance in the yeah. land, but they didn't get land. They were ministered to the temple. So the nation gave 10% of their um, increase to to the Levites so that they could live. And these numbers get complicated because in some point it looks like it might only be 150th, but then that gets split, so it actually might only be 1% going Mm -hmm. on here. And that's going to be first given to the direct bloodline of Aaron. Well, there's Mm -hmm. a lot more priests besides the direct bloodline of Aaron. And so then then that's redistributed after that, and then they're supposed to tithe off of it. And so you keep going with that, but at some point you go... Is it 1%, is it 150th, or is it 10%? Yeah, we kind of see maybe about 1% actually went to God because the Levites would then tithe to the high priest who would bring that to the Lord. And so that's kind of what we what we saw. So I will say there there is a context that there is a picture that maybe that giving is supposed to be the context of holy things. And that, that's about the only place I can put the, the best example of, I can say, of giving to a church today is it does yeah. set the tone for something like that. Yeah. Um, so the second tithe was the festival tithe, and you were supposed to um, basically save up at, at least 10%. This is our favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> to go on vacation with Jesus three times a year. So you were... At least three. There were seven, but you better have money saved up for at least yeah. the three. Yeah. Three were pilgrimage festivals, and they yep. um, lined up with the the some the, the three harvests that, yep. that were in Israel at that time. And that was to come celebrate before the Lord. Vacations this, with Jesus. This was, <laughs> it was... It was all food. You're supposed to yeah. eat and drink and... Have a fellowship party with your with your Yahweh community. And this is what Matt alluded to that if for some reason you don't have enough money to make this pilgrimage, you can sell some of the stuff so that you can make it. There shouldn't be any excuses to to not not make make it. it. Yeah. So it's all about fellowship and celebrating 
what the Lord has done for There's you. There's also lots of connotations to your neighbor. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm grafted into this community, if I if Matt is now part of my covenant family, there's a lot of those words going on mm-hmm. there. If he's part of it, I'm also going to make sure that he gets to this festival as well. Yeah, um, so the third one is the storehouse tithe, um, which is about caring for the least of these. It was 10% every third and sixth year of the seven-year um, sabbatical Sabbath cycle. Um, and this was completely about giving to the needy. So the poor, the widow, the orphan, the alien, yeah. um, all of that was about caring for the least of these who are among you. And there's also a royal tithe. And the royal tithe is when they decided they were going to become a nation with kings, that that was actually going to cost them something. They had to finance this some way. So when you start putting these numbers together, you might say on the very minimum, it could be conceived as 10%. On the maximum, there's a thing, and you'll have to watch the whole film to see why this is a little controversial, but is it 10% plus 10%? And then if you're in a a king with a kingdom community, there's another 10%. And then when you get into this weird, like, three-and-a-half-year thing, three, seven, all of that, there's actually an argument that there could be another 3.5% being figured into here, too. 33 to 40%-ish of actually what the tithe was. And then there's also this weird dynamic going on that, that... it was a public giving thing. I mean, you're going to bring your 27 oxen in to give, and there is an idea that you wanted to look like you were retribution, principle, prosperity, blessed. And so yeah. sometimes it might actually go the other way. Let's say that, you know, in my life, 10% of my uh, sheep might might be 10 sheep. Mm-hmm. I have 100 sheep. I'm going to bring 10. Well, what if that number is up to more like 20 or 30? Now I'm bringing 30%, but I'm not only going to do that. I'm going to bring 60 of my sheep because it's actually a picture of God has blessed you. God has blessed me. And I live a long ways away. I've come all the way for this pilgrimage to do that. That's why shepherds are important because somebody has to deliver the prosperity of the kingdom. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that tie into this. Yeah. Um, so let's just kind of get down to what were the main ideas that we saw throughout this whole thing. What did you learn? If you've been with us for the last two hours watching the full for the full film, Old Testament video. Yeah. where are you going to land on what the Old Testament says to giving that I might take away for my family, for Matt's family today? Um, so yeah, so the first thing we learned was it's really about caring for the Levites one was about that so or caring for those ministering in the family of God is there a correlation today for pastors you're gonna Maybe. have to figure that one or out is, are we all a kingdom of priests yeah <laughs> so uh, the second part is is about caring for the least of these caring for uh, the storehouse tithe was all about uh, that that's the ideal behind that one we never seem to get an end to this and mm-hmm. so this is where one i would say is maybe there's nowhere to bring the 10 percent because i am the temple now the temple mm-hmm. is inside of me jesus dwells inside of me but the mindset might be the same that at least 10 percent of what i make should still go for the widow the poor the orphan the fatherless yeah. things like that and the last thing is about fellowship and celebration with your community and especially celebrating god together so a portion of your of your money you give to the lord should be about 
celebrating together with people, celebrating God together with people. Huge part is fellowship here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are kind of the big three ideas in Old Testament. And I think the attitude behind it was always that it was voluntary. It was about cheerful giving, which we'll see more in the New Testament video that we're going to do, episode that we're going to do. But we see that before the the law, that it was about um, God's provision and celebrating God's provision was the reason that you gave a gratitude and thanksgiving. And the context is for those that are in the body of Christ, that are actively representing what I would call this circle of beneficial giving. And so are you part of that kingdom? Are you, Does your life look more like you belong to the kingdom of Babylon today, or does it look more like you're in sacred land, sacred space, sacred places of Jesus in your life. Are, is King Jesus the only umbrella in your life is a great way to say it. Yeah. So thanks for joining us for this long episode or the short episode if you're just watching this ending part. Uh, we're so glad that you're with us on this journey. Um, next time we'll be back with uh, going through what does the New Testament, the New Covenant say about giving and first fruits. Uh, may God bless you and keep you.